Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, June 24th. Happy Thursday, everyone. Welcome into the show. Glad that you're with us. Nice little break over the weekend and earlier this week. But, uh, you know, lots to get to today uh, as far as the Gamecocks go in, in terms of recruiting. That's still going on. We're still in the month of June. O-line, D-line camp is going on right now. Um, lots of coverage about that on thebigspur.com where we have a membership special going on. If you want to be a VIP and follow along with Hale McGranahan and myself and John Whittle and Tony Morrell, uh, be sure to go check that out. Um, we, uh, you know, looking at it, one thing I've noticed, uh, just an observation here is that coming up in the state, there are a lot of big tackles, <laughs> uh, true offensive tackles uh, coming up for the 2023 class, 2024 class, uh, Monroe Freeling from down in the Charleston area. You know, you have Marquis Anderson from Dorman. Uh, you have a kid, Josiah Thompson from Dillon. Uh, that's a big kid. So, that's kind of trending up as well. I know we, we finally have some quarterbacks within the state here in the next couple of years, but offensive tackles, that's not a position that the state's necessarily been deep at, but it uh, looks like some of those guys are up on the radar, and a lot of them are working out today uh, as far as uh, O-line, D-line camp and, and all that good stuff. So, uh, you, you know, you, you sort of look at it. I mean, here's a here's a guy, 6'8", 315 from Jeff Davis Academy in Blackville, um, you know, Garrison Owens from within the state. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> are they going to take a look at him? He's 2022. Um, O-Lyman, DJ Chester and Zechariah Owens from Eagles Landing Christian and McDonough, Georgia are on campus. Owens is a 6'7", 345. DJ Chester, 6'5", 300, lots of size. Um, you know, there's a big kind of athlete guy, Amari Nimbleck from Lakewood High, uh, Lakewood High School in Clearwater, Florida, 6'4", 220 on campus. Uh, four-star safety, Elliot Washington from Venice Beach of 2023 classes on campus. Um, 2022 defensive lineman, 6'5", 345, 12-week Thomas from Tampa Gaither. So uh, – Lots of guys, lots of guys. DeAndre Martin from Life Christian Academy in Durham, North Carolina, 6'3 and a half, 293 defensive lineman. So there's a lot of guys out there as far as the D line goes that uh, Gamecocks are looking pretty good uh, for. And it's going to be interesting to see how the, the numbers sort of shake out. Uh, there's been a couple of welcome homes from Shane Beamer, and that's. Uh, that's kind of the new spurs up uh, for those of you that, that when the game costs get a commitment, it says uh, welcome home instead of spurs up. And so the last two, these kids haven't announced yet, I'm not trying to kind of break their moment. Uh, the one, the first one is probably July 5th as we're looking at an announcement out of state player. I can tell you, um, and I can tell you it's one guy on film that I'm extremely high on that I think really has a chance to be a special talent. Um, and the other guy, Hill reported it. It just hasn't been announced yet publicly. It would be Nick Emanuare, the uh, big safety linebacker, big nickel from Irmo right there in Columbia. 
we've talked about him and, and the evaluation on him and how you know, he was one of the freakiest guys they've had in camp, uh, just as far as his size, ability to cover, flipping his hips, the length, um, and his speed. I mean, th- this is not a guy that – I mean, I saw Israel Mukwamu when he came out, and Israel, you, you looked at him and you thought a lot of upside. Uh, a guy that's got pretty good instincts and ball skills, uh, but you didn't really see hips and, and things like that. You kind of developed that later or, or whatever. Um, and they wanted him as a corner. Th- this guy, uh, I think, is, is married, uh, similar to Isaiah Simmons, who went to Clemson, who ended up being a top 10 draft pick. He was a three star kid. Clemson, uh, Brent Venables found him out in Kansas. <laughs> three-star kid from Kansas, and uh, he ends up uh, being that kind of versatile defender that a lot of college football teams use. Now, am I predicting him and Warre is going to be a top-10 draft pick? Like, no, he's got to go do it. You know, you got to develop in this game. Uh, and, you know, as far as recruiting rankings and projections and all that go, you know, that's a guy that, you know, you look at and you can project him, but he's still got to do it. So there's no guarantee on any of that. Uh, but I'll take a guy like that. Uh, every day and twice on Sunday as they're trying to kind of build this defense. Uh, another kid from the state of Texas committed, Peyton Williams from Rockwall, Texas, Rockwall Heath. He's 6'1", 180. Um, it is a player that you kind of look at and you wonder why some of the Texas schools like TCU and those schools haven't been all over him. Big physical kid, again, rangy, uh, sort of what they look for uh, in a safety prospect. He comes on a, on a visit and commits it up. Uh, and so that that's kind of – it's kind of different to get a kid out of Texas if you're the South Carolina Gamecocks. That doesn't happen uh, all that often. Uh, it happened more under Will Muschamp than Steve Spurrier. I think Elliot Fry was the only Texan to come in under Spurrier. And then, you know, with uh, with Muschamp, you know, they had the JTE Bay transfer, the Nick Harvey transfer. Shiloh Sanders was a Texas kid who transferred out. That was going to happen as soon as his dad took that Jackson State job, by the way, with Dion was the head coach at Jackson State. I said, uh, Shiloh's probably gone, and, and that was true. But, you know, I, I think you can find players in Texas. If you evaluate them well, I think, you know, Texas prospects a lot of times uh, are guys that are going to play earlier in their career because they've been well coached. Uh, the high school football up there is second to none. You know, they may not have the athletic upside sometimes of a kid from South Florida uh, or a kid from Florida. Uh, but they're closer to their ceiling. And so if you need immediate help, you know, here's here's a guy that you kind of look at and go, well, this this guy could end up helping right away. Um, Peyton Williams out of Rockwall, Texas. Jamal Weish, defensive lineman from Florida Christian School of Miami, an Ohio transplant, you know, 6'4", 270. Well, what a guy that, uh, you know, as far as a pass rushing ability goes in his frame, you know, what a player uh, that Jimmy Lindsay evaluated and landed. Uh, out of South Florida, uh, I think he's a player that's really good um, and has some upside, and, and so that's another commit. So, so far on the commit list, if you count Emmanuel, three from Florida, two from Georgia, and one each from Delaware, Texas, and South Carolina. Uh, that South Carolina number is obviously going to go up, and I think the Florida one will too. Uh, and I think the Delaware one has a good chance to go up. But uh, nice balanced class uh, in terms of uh, – you know, the different positions, defensive back, you know, they got four committed, so they're heavy on that. Um, but you can classify them in more A and Banks as an athlete because Banks could be a corner or a safety. 
Uh, Emanuore could be like, like I said, the big nickel outside linebacker type. Um, you know, Javante McClendon and Peyton Williams are pure safety. So Torian Gray doing a pretty good job right now of, of filling his spots for his position. I don't think they're done with that yet, uh, but it's looking good. The, the Gamecocks class rank is 37th right now. They keep pushing up towards a higher level. Uh, and they've got some good official visits coming in this weekend too. I mean, it's, it's going to be uh, another busy weekend uh, as far as the big visits go. Uh, Braden Davis, the quarterback, is coming back and uh, for his official. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, you know, they've been working – they worked out with him for two days, Marcus Satterfield and, and the coaching staff, and they were beyond impressed by his approach to everything, by the fact he's got a big arm, uh, his speed. He ran four, five, six. If you're talking about a quarterback prospect, you know, this guy is a guy that can, uh, I think, make some things happen and have a big upside. I think that, you know – this one could be one they knocked out of the park based on everything that uh, we've been told. Uh, four-star athlete Chris Graves from Bishop Verro in Fort Myers is coming in. He's a stock-up guy nationally. Um, Miami's the heavy favorite there going in, but he's still visiting, so you take your shot. Dominic James, big defensive lineman from IMG Academy uh, from Prattville, Alabama. We'll see kind of what happens with him. Uh, Braden Davis's teammate, Tomiwa. Durajai, 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 uh, 6'4", 255, edge guy from Delaware. Uh, lots of good offers out there. Keenan Nelson, Jr., four-star corner from Philly. Penn State's in the lead heading into the visit. Traquan Fagans, a big defensive back, back from Oxford, Alabama. He's ranked number 77 in the country nationally. We'll see kind of what kind of move they can make on him. Uh, he's been visiting other schools, namely out-of-state schools, uh, so that may be one they could steal out of Alabama. Dane Key, the wide receiver for Frederick Douglass High School in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, they love him. Uh, can you beat Kentucky on a Lexington kid? I don't know. Anthony Rose is coming back into town from Miami Central. 6'4", 180, was previously committed to the Gamecocks, decommitted. Yeah, they, they feel like they can get him back. Uh, Nikki Martinez from Apopka, Florida, is a four-star corner that um, – the Gamecocks are high on, you know, they're going to evaluate his body type just like they did with Nick Hull and some other guys and, and, and see kind of where he fits. But I think if they push for him, they, there's a chance South Carolina can get him the number one tight end in the country, or he was, <laughs> I don't know, you know, who moved ahead of him, but Oscar dealt from West Forsyth high school in coming Georgia Gamecock legacy. Eric Kimry's made him far and away the number one target. This official visit is going to be huge for him. Uh, and then this kid from Cardinal Gibbons in Fort Lauderdale, Mason Thomas, 6'3", 215, listed as an edge. He's probably going to be – or is definitely being recruited at South Carolina as a pure linebacker. You know, Clayton White watched him, worked him out, uh, and then he's taking his official visit up to South Carolina this time. I, I think the Gamecocks have a good shot uh, at landing him. And that's how the, the visitors list looks right now. Um, so I, I think, you know, an impressive group. Of guys, uh, you consider that these guys have, you know, just now been able to start doing some face-to-face -face recruiting, uh, and you know we're in the one-month period of that. And you look at kind of the interest the staff has generated, and uh, I think it's better than expected. Not that I had low expectations because I knew Shane Beamer could recruit, and I knew some of these other guys could, but um, you know, I think that the interest level has been higher than maybe we thought.
transfer portal. Carolina's got uh, – they're waiting on a – you know, potentially a big-time get in K-Ron Prunty from Petersburg, Virginia. Spent last year at Kansas, did not allow a touchdown pass, and was a freshman All-American. Um, you look at the question marks in the secondary. You know, South Carolina needs numbers there. They need players there. You know, this guy as a corner could probably shut down, you know, some receivers in this league. Let's just put it that way. I mean, it's got to be exceptionally difficult to play for Kansas in the Big 12 against the offenses you play in the Big 12, and you don't give up a touchdown. I mean, that, the chances of that happening are slim. Um, you know, and, and you don't know that he can keep that up, <laughs> just to be honest. I mean, sometimes you, uh, you know, you give up touchdowns. I don't, I don't think it's realistic to think that if he comes to South Carolina, he's going to all of a sudden not give up a TD pass. But he's good, and he's a guy with experience at the Power Five level, um, you know. And you can kind of put him in there and, and say, "Hey, look, you know, you're going to probably you're going to start opposite Cam Smith, uh, and then you have some options there for the safety position and the nickel position. You know, a guy like Joey Hunter maybe could slide back to safety or O'Donnell Fortune or whoever. And I, I just think it it helps your overall uh, situation." Uh, at DB when you have a guy that can come in and, and play right away. And South Carolina needs that. Now, it's not to say Isaiah Norris won't be really good or LaDainley and Craig or, or Carlin Spatel or whoever the, the guys that are coming in or even the guys like Marcella Style uh, and Dominic Hill and those guys that are already there. Um, but it just it, – it, it kind of, ha- you know, lets you – I guess, uh, in some ways, feel a little better uh, about it when you have a guy with a lot of experience. I mean, even Cam Smith, who's the probably the most experienced corner out there, you know, he didn't play a whole lot last year. And when he did, he struggled. And then he got thrown to the Wolves and kind of got better right before our eyes. Uh, so he, he's played, but he hadn't gone through the wars for a whole season. Uh, Marcellus Dial, I mentioned him. He hadn't played football in like two years. Uh, didn't play that much at, at Georgia military as a freshman and then COVID last year. So some of these guys, you know, haven't played. Uh, and so you feel better about a kid that maybe can come in and has that experience. And, and certainly when you're talking about the back end of the defense, heading out of spring, you know, that, that spot, the back seven linebacker and the secondary, and then at receiver, those are the two major question marks coming out. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Uh, a lot of a lot of the deal in the secondary is inexperience and numbers. Uh, a lot of the deal at wide receiver is, you know, they all have different things that uh, uh, that they, uh, you know, different things that they need to work on. Let's just put it that way. At linebacker, I think it's health. I mean, these guys need to get healthy. Uh, a lot of linebackers, you go through the rosters, like, well, he was hurt, he was hurt, he was hurt, he was hurt, he was hurt. Uh, they need to get healthy and, and play that way. A guy like Mo Kaba can really make a difference for this team if he gets healthy. Uh, and so I think there are different things you look for uh, at each spot. You know, certainly if Jaquez Jones from Ole Miss had come to South Carolina instead of Kentucky, that would have been a guy you could probably pencil in as well. But, uh, you know, his coach went to Kentucky or whatever. There was a connection, and that, that's pretty much where he was heading. So Gamecocks are uh, – you know, one of these transfers is going to come their way at some point. So I, I think Prunty would be the guy that you really, you know, take a hard look at. 
Um, and that would be good. I think that would be really good for the program. So that's, uh, that's the deal there with um, the transfer portal watch for the weekend. It should be a heck of a weekend, in my opinion. I think, uh, I think that's, uh, that's pretty much a given. I'll tell you what else is a given. If you're a business owner and you're always looking to save time and money, I help Consulting can help you. I help as a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. That could be credit card processing, internet, insurance, or anything else. I help can help your business find the most savings without sacrificing quality. That's important. And remember, if I help can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If I help can't help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text my friend Daniel at I help at 843-372-5713 or visit ihelpconsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? And uh, yeah, costs nothing. So you, you have nothing to lose by hitting up Daniel and seeing if his business uh, can help you. And with that, we have a lot of mailbag questions in the I help consulting mailbag. And we're going to get right to them. There's two ways to get into the mailbag. You can go uh, with the Twitter. You can say uh, at the Big Spur Pod, and there's several of those today. And those that I answer, I usually answer them. I'll, I'll give them a retweet. There's three, and I'm going to do this today. Uh, and you so tweet at us. That's good. Also follow that uh, at the Big Spur Pod or inside the Gamecocks on Instagram. That's good too. Uh, so the first one here comes in from from Jack. He said, how do you feel about a light show during 2001 or Sandstorm? I think that's a pretty sweet idea myself. Well, you know, they, they talk about the LED lightings or LED lighting uh, that some of the schools like Bama and Georgia have. And, you know, my understanding is, based on a tweet from Eric Nichols, who's the marketing guy at Carolina, uh, that that could be in place for this season. Uh, and so I'm all for it, you know, however they can use it creatively uh, to get things going. Um, you have to, you know, you, you want to be different. You want to do everything you can to get the home field atmosphere uh, going. And um, if you can use some lights, that's great. You know, a little modern lighting, that, that, that'll fire everybody up. So <laughs> I'm, um, I'm, uh, I'm all for that, Jack. Uh, especially getting the LEDs in, because I think it looks really cool uh, with some other schools that I've seen, and so it'll look good uh, for South Carolina as well. Thank you, thank you. Great idea. Okay, so only here for Gamecocks says, can we try to break down target position numbers we expect to bring in this recruiting class? I know we have large numbers at receivers, but Step is out there working as well as the other coaches. What numbers should we be looking at for as the class gets full? Um, it's flexible. Uh, that's one thing Shane Beamer believes in is being flexible in recruiting. Uh, I think they could do as many as six defensive linemen, maybe six defensive backs or guys that will play some sort of defensive back. I think the receiver number is four, maybe five if they get the right ones. Uh, everything else, you know, one running back, I think one quarterback in the class, two or three offensive linemen, maybe a little higher. Uh, I think one or two tight ends, probably one. Um and uh, that's Oscar Delp right now. <laughs> that's the number one guy on the board. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, that's kind of what they're looking at, three or four linebackers, you know, because it's a uh, 
it's a uh, it's a it's a cycle where there's some some needs immediately, and then there's some needs for the future. The D line for this season, I think you know it's going to be fine. I mean, I th- you know you you added some help through the portal with Jordan Strawn and Jakeem Green, um, so I, I think that that's fine. I think the reason they're going heavy on the D line is number one, there's some D linemen in D line heaven <laughs> that are really good players. You know, DJ Jackson from Sumter and Demetrius Watson from Fort Dorchester are really big and athletic guys, uh, you know, and, and and then they're getting some from elsewhere as well. But, uh, you know, you don't want to get caught light at that spot because, you know, that's not a recipe for success. So, you know, you kind of recruit in advance and you say, well, these guys can come in and, you know, because you got Boogie Huntley coming back, you got some other guys coming back. You know, Nick Barrett's in the in the program uh, at that D tackle spot. You, you never know; Sandage may come back, uh, and then you've got um, you know you've got other guys behind them that you're kind of you know building up slowly. Uh, and so I think that's why you you know you, you sign those guys, and then you never know. I mean, a lot of these guys that have extra eligibility may just bounce. You just don't know how it's going to hit you. You know, some may portal for their last year. Some may go pro. Uh, I think J.J. Enigbare is probably a safe bet to go pro. But, um, you know, so so we'll see sort of what happens there. I'm sorry I couldn't give you more specific numbers, but they are flexible. Uh, and I could sketch it out and project like I just did. But I, I wouldn't, like, write that down as gospel because, I, I you know, don't don't – Please don't tweet at me like, you know, a signing day and say, I thought they were going to take four offensive linemen and they only have two because, like I said, that could change. Sometimes when it gets down to your final numbers, you just take best player available, uh, just like you do with the, the draft. So that's the deal there uh, with all that. So we will see what happens. Uh, Greg says, you posted an article on the Athlon Lindy's anonymous quotes from opposing coaches. Some were sadly true, but some seem way off. Do you think a lot of these coaches are throwing shade at a rival or Will Muschamp's allies? Match the quote to a coach. Thanks. Ah, Greg, I don't do that. I, you know, I, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, this was definitely Kirby Smart because it's like, you know, I don't, I don't even know because they don't get specific about who exactly the coach. They say a coach. So I mean, it could be a receivers coach. It could be a analyst it could be a director of ops you know some of that stuff to me was kind of out to lunch you know south carolina isn't a 40-year walk through the desert or whatever you know maybe that didn't mean they're they're in the wilderness for 40 years or whatever but it was uh it's probably a biblical deal but um i think that uh you know i think that when you talk about you know some of that stuff it there could be a little shade being thrown but um I don't know. I mean, I've seen worse about other schools, you know, and and I think a lot of people, you know, I mean, people are, people have said things about Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, you know, and in those things, I think it's, it's just interesting. It's always good to read, but I, I enjoyed, um, you know, uh, responding because I I think that a lot of times, you know, you don't want to let that stuff just sit because some of it's inaccurate and it's just not true. You know, so I, I think it's it's good that, you know, in my article I wrote, hey, this is what I think about this, you know, and, and all that, you know, and, and saying things like, I mean, yeah, there's just some, some controversial stuff in there that I didn't 
I didn't necessarily agree with and, and all that. And, you know, especially, you know, why not just keep Will Muschamp if you're going to hire Shane Beamer? I mean, I, I don't know, you know, I know Beamer doesn't have a track record, but Muschamp does nine years in the league or eight and a half, 8.75. And, um, you know, it just didn't work out either place. And, you know, it, it's a shame because, you know, Will Muschamp started 22 and nine at Florida into 28 and 21. He started 20 and 14 at South Carolina and then 28 and 30. You know, so, so at some point, the bottom fell out. Now, the reasons Florida didn't work and the reasons South Carolina didn't work are distinctly different. Um, if you were out there and you, you screamed from the start that you didn't want Muschamp, that's fine. I mean, I, you know, congratulations. But if you called that in year five, they're going to uh, give up 159 points in three games, and they're going to have a lot of the NFL draft picks on their defense, I, I just said, "Whoa, wait a minute, that, that's crazy," you know. Um, and that certainly didn't happen at Florida. They had a, a really good defense there, and, and had it sort of stacked. You know, I think in South Carolina, you know which is similar to Florida, you know, that they do have some positions that are not in good shape, but there are some positions that are. And so, you know, we'll see. One day we'll dig into the Will Muschamp era at South Carolina and why it didn't work out and try to get some specifics. But I'm just not, you know, I'm just not, uh, you know, ready and prepared to go into why. I just know that, you know, what happened at Florida was different than what happened at South Carolina. And but both situations, if you're looking at it just from a surface level standpoint, both situations did not work out. Both situations featured the bottom falling out to a certain extent, although at Florida, you know, that last year they rebounded and lost some inexplicable ball games to LSU and South Carolina. But, uh, you know, it, it got worse. It started well and got worse. So that's the bottom line with both of those if you're looking for a similarity. But uh, anyway, yeah. So yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna match the quote to a coach there, Greg. I, I just, you know, I don't, I don't do that. Somebody asked me today why I wasn't more critical on the Big Spur about the Josh Heupel hire at Tennessee, seeing as how I've always kind of been worried that you know somebody somewhere would hire, like South Carolina would hire him. You know, to be honest, because I've just never. You know, I, I thought at Missouri, you know, they sat there and bragged about having the number one offense in the SEC statistically. Uh, and then you saw South Carolina go out there in 2017 and shut them down. Um, they ended up running it up against Tennessee and Florida that year, which were two teams that, you know, had given up. They had interim coaches at that time. Um, so I've just never thought that that offense – you know, and then Derek Dooley came in and had just as good of an offense, you know, in my opinion, as Heupel. Uh, so I, I just, you know, in my opinion, I just don't um, – I just don't see it. I, I just don't uh, – I don't see it. But, you know, if I sit there and take shots at Josh Heupel on the message board, you know, and, 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 and talk about what a bad hire he is, and then he, you know, wins seven games and they beat the Gamecocks pretty good next year, which – we all know from watching South Carolina teams over the years go to Knoxville. It's a, it's a house of horrors. And when the Gamecocks do win up there, they usually win pretty ugly. Like six, I think they won three times in Knoxville, 16, 15, 
14 to three and 15 to nine. <laughs> so it's usually ugly. And so, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd hate to sit there and, and call some, something unnecessary for those fans to just blast me and all that. I mean, we all have our opinions, but you know, I, I, that's why, I mean, I, and so, so for that reason, I'm not going to sit there and say Kirby smart definitely said that, you know, uh, I think Kirby smart is more worried about, you know, winning big this year, beating Alabama than throwing any shade at South Carolina. Um, I, I feel that way. So <laughs> anyway, we'll see. All right. So you can also get into the, uh, the mailbag here. Uh, I help consulting mailbag uh, by emailing inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Mr. White says, hey, JC, I've heard you say a few times recently that the state of South Carolina produces a slew of under-the-radar players in terms of recruiting hype but end up being really good players. Could you please give me some examples from the past few years of in-state players being passed on by Carolina and Clemson who went on to have all-conference performances or got drafted? Well, for right now, if you want a uh, three recently – uh, you know, I don't know if these guys were freshmen all conference or not, but uh, the kid from Virginia that said Virginia, uh, the freshman wide receiver they had, he was freshman all SEC. Um, and uh, you know, six six, <laughs> uh, and just a guy that you know, honestly, uh, I, I thought you know, somebody from somewhere should have you know called him. I mean, you can say South, you know, Clemson. And keep in mind, too, Clemson recruits differently. They recruit nationally now. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're kind of – they're going to pass on their share uh, of players. Um, Lavelle Davis is his name, 6'6", 215, went to University of Virginia from Woodland High School in Dorchester. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, who went to Tennessee, top 200 prospect. Um, I, I understand he didn't have a good camp at South Carolina was dropping passes and stuff like that. But, you know, this cat can run, I mean, speed. And, and when you have a slow offense with slow receivers, uh, you know, this guy could have been an elixir for you. I don't think it would have been that hard to land him had you gotten in on him early and properly recruited him. Uh, and so, you know, that's another guy uh, that I would look at and say, hey, you know, here's a guy that's, uh, a player that you probably should have had. Now, now this next guy, Zion Nelson from Sumter, who went to Miami, n- nobody could have figured this out. And South Carolina's good on the offensive line. Miami came in late because they had some decommitments. They were looking for anybody. Zion was 230 pounds. By the time fall practice, he's 280, 290, and starts as a true freshman. Uh, but they're projecting him to be drafted, you know. Uh, you know, you, you sort of look through it. Storm Duck from Bowling Springs as a starter at North Carolina. Um, you know, that's kind of a guy that the Gamecocks could not evaluate uh, for some reasons. Uh, you know, so you so you look at it like that, and then you know, there, there's some guys. I think at the end of the day, Dalen Wright from Saluda, who went to Virginia Tech, could end up being a good one. Uh, you know, Sam Pickney, who went to Georgia State from Greenwood. Say what you want, Georgia State's a different level of football, but this kid catches every single thing, and he's probably more accomplished than any receiver on the roster. Um, and so that's the key. You know, look, looking back on it, I mean, 
you know, I, I don't know. I think when you get, we start talking about recruiting malpractice, it's when the kids from your own state go elsewhere and, and play really, really well. Uh, and then you start to kind of look at it and go, well, gosh, they, they could have used him um, as the thunder starts rolling in the background. But, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens with, with that. Uh, I think that what you want to do is, you know, keep that from happening. Um, keep guys from going elsewhere to, to play well. Uh, Jalen Calhoun from Duke is another guy uh, that you can think about. Wyatt Tunall from North Carolina, I think, will end up being a good player on their offensive line. You know, but then you got some other guys, you know, like uh, Kenny Solomon, who Tennessee took a flyer on, and he's transferring out already, and he's just kind of a fast guy. So, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, everybody that leaves the state that appears to be pretty good, you know, I don't know that you you look at them 100% and go, ah, they could have gotten him. Uh, then there's going to be some that, that leave that end up being good. Like the Zion Nelson thing, how could anybody have predicted Miami's desperate for offensive linemen? He ended up starting as a true freshman. So, uh, more power to him, but, you know, he was 230. So, it's kind of a Sedarius Hutcherson thing. I'm sure Tennessee, Ole Miss, those schools wish they had gone on Sedarius Hutcherson, you know, out of Western Tennessee. So, sometimes you just find guys. Thanks for the email, uh, Mr. White. Noah says – JC, could you break down the play style of recent safety commit Peyton Williams? Yeah, he's a big, taller safety with long arms that'll hit. He can cover um, really good technique-wise. Like I said, you know, Texas kids, a lot of times, they'll arrive more ready to play than other guys because of the high school football in that state. It's a lot like Georgia in that standpoint. But, you know, you, you look at his speed, you look at his frame and his ability. I mean, I, I think he's a steal. Like I said, I have no idea – why a TCU or somebody like that hadn't been all over him because uh, he's from a spot that's pretty heavily recruited, Rockwell. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, without knowing sort of the reason why some of these other schools passed, but then also knowing Torian Gray and his track record, you, you sort of get conflicted a little bit because it's like, you know, Gary Patterson's out, out evaluated the whole state of Texas in many, many years over the years. You know, and Baylor, to a certain extent, I know it's a new staff down there with Dave Aranda, but they're pretty good at getting guys, too. Um, but, you know, so you, so you sort of look at it and you go, well, why, why no, you know, why no Horn Frog offer or, or, or interest and stuff like that? But then you look at what Gray did uh, during his career at Virginia Tech, Florida, in the NFL, and he could find – I mean, he's, he's very gifted at finding players – uh, and, and sort of matching them to what they like to do. So that's uh, that's kind of what I got to say about that. As far as style goes, yeah, he's, he'll hit you. He can cover. Uh, he's a complete safety prospect. Keith says, JC, give us the top five states in order you think are more, most important to the staff in terms of football recruiting. Do you think they're focused on the right areas? Yeah, I do. Um I, I think that, as I've mentioned many times, North Carolina is a challenge right now uh, because of how the Tar Heels are recruiting and uh, all that good stuff. And, and they're kind of – they got the fence around the state. But it's always going to be South Carolina, North Carolina, as far as importance goes. Uh, and so then if you get boxed out from North Carolina or the in-state talents down in South Carolina, you got to go replace those guys. Uh, and so I think, you know, you've got to make sure you take the right guys out of Georgia – and not get Georgia heavy and 
take chances on some of these guys that are basically over recruited down there. Uh, you got to make good evaluations in Georgia. And then in Florida, it's a big crapshoot because there are a lot of great players that don't have offer lists that are just tremendous athletes that love the game. You know, so I would, I would rank in terms of importance, Florida right after the Carolinas uh, and then Georgia. And then, you know, I, I think Virginia North, you could almost consider that one big area. Uh, that's important. I think going into Alabama and spot recruiting is important. Uh, I think occasionally if you can get into it with a kid from Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, uh, you do it. Uh, Texas, you know, that's kind of the, the, the frontier, I guess. Uh, but I, I think as far as emphasizing the right areas, you look at the roster and the needs of the roster, and you, if you just think overall, South Carolina needs to get more fast and athletic as a football team uh, at all positions. And so where do you go find fast athletic guys? Florida. So I, I think that's the deal there. Thanks for the question, Keith. Dr. Rob says, with major changes coming to college football, like the 12-team playoff and NIL, why not make another major change and move a majority of the bowl games, non-playoff in New Year's Six, to the spring? Change some rules that even help out the balance of power. If you in the playoff, you only get 10 spring practices. Teams for participating in spring bowl games get 20, and early enrollees can play in the spring bowl with no eligibility penalty. If I have to go to Shreveport, I'd much rather go in March or April than December, and it would be exciting for fans to get an early glimpse of next year's team. Thanks for all you do. Keep up the great work. I love this podcast and J.C. and Morgan, Dr. Rob. I think it's an interesting idea. I don't think from a coaching standpoint that they're ever going to make a big push for actual spring football games. Um, I think that it was an eye-opener last year that – you know, the, the FCS teams played in the spring. A lot of them did. and you know, People were interested and tuned in. Uh, I think there has to be something done with the bowl games at some point, whether that's, you know, tweaking the eligibility for them and making everybody eligible like they did during COVID, uh, which I thought produced some really good matchups that people cared about more than a six and six MAC team against a seven and five conference USA team. Um, maybe they do that. Maybe, you do play some in the spring. Uh, maybe they become the first weekend of college football. Uh, I think during the regular season, uh, a lot of fan bases are sort of revolting against the neutral side games because, you know, like if you're Alabama, you start off the season every year in Atlanta, I guess, a pretty good opponent. And then when your SEC West schedule does not include Auburn, uh, you know, or, or the Iron Bowl's not there, if, if the LSU game's there and LSU is not very good, you know, you're going to, um, you're going to end up saying, Oh, this is a crappy uh, package of season tickets. I've got, you know, cause Western Kentucky and, you know, they always play like Georgia state or Mercer the, the weekend before Auburn. And, you know, it gets monotonous. Same thing with the Gamecock fans not wanting to go to Charlotte. And uh, so I, I think if you look down the road, there are more teams scheduling home and homes than those neutral site games. So I, I don't know if, moving the bowls the first week of the season or anything would work. But uh, I don't know. You know, bowl games are an inner I, – I, I don't want the bowls to die. But I do think – and I don't think they will because, as Mike and I have talked about many times on J.C. and Morgan, is that that's programming. I mean, you know, that time of year, college basketball is not really in full swing. The NBA, you know, sort of – They've already played a month and a half of games, but their their big day where people start to pay attention is Christmas Day, 
you know, they've sold that for a while. Um, you know, college basketball teams nowadays, whereas they used to go to, to some of these, you know, holiday tournaments or whatever, they typically take a week off for Christmas. So you don't even, you really don't have anything to do <laughs> during that time. And people get into bowl pools and stuff like that and they enjoy them. Um, and they have become more of a made for TV production. If you look, ESPN owns most of them. Uh, and, you know, they want something to sell to advertisers. And, and it's not so much like it used to be where you'd have a bowl scout that traveled around and they were cutting backroom deals for tickets and hotel rooms and stuff like that. Uh, TV money covers, you know, the bowls and the expense and stuff. And so, you know, we'll do it that there. As far as any rules go to give playoff teams less spring practices, I, I just, I don't know about that. I, I, I understand that in the professional leagues, in the interest of parity, the worst teams get to pick first and as far as players go and stuff like that. But you, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I think that if you want to, if you want to knock off Alabama, then, you know, Auburn and LSU and Texas A&M and those schools need to get uh, their act together. You want to knock off Clemson, then Virginia Tech, Florida State, uh, Miami, North Carolina, the schools in that league with a chance, they need to get their act together. You know, th- that would be my thing there. And I just don't think still, I think people are, are missing this uh, the, the real wrong way. You know, it's, it's almost an illusion. You know, you look at it, well, Clemson's made, you know, six straight playoff appearances. Uh, well, how many years were they really challenged in the ACC? You know, Oklahoma goes to the playoff many times, wins the Big 12. I think they're on five or six straight. Well, how many teams really challenged them in the Big 12? You know, Texas has been kind of in the wilderness, you know, and, and the other schools, you know, an Iowa State will show up and beat them every now and then. Uh, they lost to Kansas State last year. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's not a situation where it's not manageable for them. Uh, Ohio State in the Big Ten has been equally dominant. You know, a few years back, Michigan – you know, had a shot, and then Ohio State beats him like 62 to 29, something like that. Um, you know, so that's up to Michigan and Penn State and Wisconsin and, and those schools to not knock the Buckeyes off. It's not because of recruiting. It's not because Ohio State and Alabama sign, you know, the top two classes every year, that they really is no resistance Uh for, for most, not Alabama, and, and, and that and it bears out when you look at the the trips to the playoff. The SEC's put three different schools in the playoff, even with Alabama's dominance. Georgia and LSU have both made it. You know, I, I, I don't think anybody in the Big 12 but Oklahoma's made it. Uh, Florida State made it out of the ACC the first year, and they haven't been back. Uh, the Pac-12 has sent Washington and Oregon – in random years. Um, Notre Dame, of course, got got the other ACC bid this past year, but I don't really consider them the ACC team, and they're not going in the conference full-time. Uh, so, so, so that's a problem. I mean, that, that's, that, that, that's the problem right there. People, people, I think, look at the recruiting rankings, and then they look at the four-team playoff, and they go, oh, wow. Um, and, and here's something to consider. With the exception of last recruiting cycle, which was a transition year at Texas. Texas has out-recruited Oklahoma per the team rankings every single cycle, every single cycle. 
you know, Florida State out recruited Clemson in the ACC long after the Tigers started their rise to dominance. Um, you know, so the, the, the recruiting rankings to me, and I'm not saying you're doing this, Dr. Rob, I think some people go, well, gosh, only these teams get in the playoff, and that's all anybody cares about. Then these teams finish high in the recruiting rankings, and, and all of that's important. You, you'd obviously – I don't want people to think that I'm saying you don't want to sign highly rated classes. You'd rather sign highly rated classes than not, believe me. Any coach would tell you that. But uh, I also think this. I, I don't think that, you know, you're in, you know, college football purgatory if you don't. Uh, I think you got to put together a good team and go play. Uh, and it's hard. You know, I, I think the only team really you can look at that and say huge talent advantage is Alabama. Uh, you know, that's, you know, to me, Alabama recruits really well. I think Ohio State under Urban Meyer kind of recruited close to Alabama. Uh, I think after that, your your Clemson's and Georgia's of the world are, are in that in the next tier. It's not – they're not in the tier recruiting wise. <laughs> Let's not mistake in that. Um, they don't, you know, they don't necessarily on paper have the better classes, but they're right there. Then, you know, Oklahoma's kind of on down the list and you have schools like Texas that Southern Cal that, that are always ranked in the top 10 in recruiting, but don't always, uh, don't always play like it, you know? And so I, I think that, you know, that's something the 12 team playoff can really, I think, fix is that you're going to have teams, you know, out there that have a chance, you know, you know, they don't get shut out, you know, just because two conferences are weak or, you know, a couple of years ago, Notre Dame, I mean, they ended up getting spanked by Clemson and the Cotton Bowl and made it. They were undefeated, so they made it, but who did they really beat? I think they beat Michigan at the beginning of the year. Michigan was just pretty good. So who do they really beat? A lot of name teams, Florida State, Southern Cal, Virginia Tech. I think the best record of those three was a six and six record for the Hokies, and they had to really strive to get there. So, you know, to me, that's a that's another kind of situation is, you know, with the expansion of the playoff, you can probably bet that strength of schedule is going to play a little bit more of a factor. Uh, and if not, then – I think some of these schools are going to have to re-examine scheduling because I've said many times, you know, Alabama's opening with Ohio State and Notre Dame plus all their SEC games in, in, down the road 2028. Uh, Georgia has a three-team rotation of Texas, Florida State, and Clemson coming in for home and home. So, you know, they'll have two of those three teams plus Georgia Tech every year plus the SEC. Um, and so if they if they continue to reward – you know, teams with one or zero losses more than a team with two that's played a tough schedule. I think it'll be interesting to see sort of uh, how all that takes place. Anyway, thanks, Dr. Rob. Appreciate it so much. Once again, uh, that is the I Help Consulting mailbag. We have it each and every episode. Again, call or text Daniel Owens, 843-372-5713, or visit ihelpconsulting.com. Uh, it will be worth your time to check that out. And certainly we appreciate the sponsors here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. All right, I got to get back to answering questions on the Big Spur today. Tony's out uh, of the country this week on a much-deserved vacation. So I'm over there answering questions, so I'm going to get back to that. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. 
Uh, talk to you soon. We'll have more episodes really soon. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert signing off.